How many of you are thankful for Wednesday night church? Amen. I'm thankful to be here tonight and thankful for this opportunity. And I pray that you would receive something from the Lord tonight in this word. And if it's for nobody else tonight, it's for me. But I hope that you would receive it. You can remain seated. I'm going to read uh, several passages of scripture, several scriptures, two passages, should I say. But the first of which is Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. We'll go down and then skip some. And then later on we'll go to Matthew chapter 15 in verse 8. Starting off Luke 7, verse 36. It says, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him, weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And scripture says that that Pharisee became angry and began to ask questions and wondered if Jesus even knew that this woman was a sinner. And Jesus asked him, could I, can I say something here? And he told him to go ahead and say it. So Jesus says there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, He frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? And Simon the Pharisee answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. And Jesus goes on to tell this woman that he not only forgives her, but that her faith has saved her and to go in peace. Going to Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, very familiar scripture. It says, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Tonight, for just a little while, I want to talk to you on the subject Forgive me of my idol worship. Forgive me of my idol worship. Can we go to the Lord in prayer right now? Lord, we love you so much. God, I thank you for your presence that is in this place. God, I pray right now that your anointing would fall, for it's that anointing that destroys every yoke. 
God, we cannot operate tonight without your anointing. God, I pray that you would move in this place like only you can. Open every ear, heart, and soul, God, to receive your word that it would not return void. In the wonderful, precious name of Jesus, we pray these things. And everyone said, Amen. Tonight, I've come to talk to you about our idol worship. I'm not talking tonight about the golden calf or the other graven images. I'm not talking about your celebrities that are famous at this time or your president candidate. I'm not talking about an American idol. I'm not talking about the things in your living room that your chairs are focused towards. Though there are probably some of us in here tonight who have a problem with some of those idols, others that like them. That is not the idol I am talking about tonight. Tonight I am talking about another form of idol worship. You say, well, what other kind is there? The kind that is spelled I-D-L-E. A simple definition of idol is not working or being used, not having any real purpose or value, not having much activity, lacking worth or basis or emptiness. So it's non-active worship. It's worship that isn't being used. Worship that doesn't have much value. A worship that is empty. Though we may not realize it, there are probably more people dealing with the IDLE worship in here tonight than those who are dealing with IDOL worship. Even in Scripture, it does not take you long before people get the wrong idea about worship. In fact, you can't even get out of Genesis and someone already had a false idea of worship. You see, in Genesis 4, the Bible says Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. The Bible doesn't mention which it was, but let's see what Abel gives. The Bible says Abel also brought a gift. And it makes mention it was the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift. But he did not accept Cain and his gift. And this made Cain very angry. And he looked dejected. And God looked at him and asked him, why are you so angry? Notice... In Scripture, in verse 7, he says, You will be accepted if you do what is right. Notice he did not say, You will be accepted if you don't do wrong. He said, You will be accepted if you do right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. You see, God has a problem with idol worship. Cain didn't put much thought into his efforts. It was the, well, I'm here on Wednesday night. What more do you expect mentality? I brought you some of my crop. I've given you some of my time and some of my energy. Idol worshipers are sometimes physically present, but mentally and spiritually they are far from God. Ever been there? 
These are the ones we found in our text tonight. We do things sometimes so often we learn to do them with little or no thought. We wake up, we get dressed, get in the car, drive to the same job and park in the same parking spot at the same time every single day. And it becomes such a habit. When was the last time it took you really thinking about what road you needed to turn on to get to your job? When was the last time you left church and said, well, let me think about it. I'm trying to remember how to get to my house from here. How do I get to church? Okay, I've got to exit my neighborhood. I need to turn right onto 518 and go under 45. No, we don't think about it anymore because we have gotten used to our drive and we know where we are going. We go into autopilot mode. But sometimes I'm afraid our worship becomes the same way. We become so familiar with the roads that lead me into his presence. Well, if we sing that song, I usually cry when the choir sings that song. Well, we have the motions down to a T and we know how to respond out of habit. We know how to respond with our emotions. We know how to get the crowd pumped and we know how to put a few tears in the eye. We are drawing near to him with our mouth and honoring him with our lips. But all he wants to know is where is your heart? He said, I know your hand is in it, but is your heart in it? In Matthew 12, the Bible says in verse 43, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest, but finding none. And it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and find its former home empty, or another word there was idle, swept and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation. They say an idle mind is the devil's workshop. Idle worshipers are prime real estate for a homeless devil. That devil knew, hey, if I can't find anything out here in this desert, I know of a Joe Schmo over here that probably hasn't done anything good with his life. He probably hasn't taken the next step in salvation. He's probably content just living day-to-day life, being in the molly grubs. I can go back to that guy, and he's probably still sitting there idle. This man had been emptied out, and there was a vacant soul. And we think that's great and wonderful. The, the demons had fleed, but only to find out he has never filled that vacancy with the Spirit of God. Repentance is great, and it is essential to our salvation. But if all we do is simply empty the container, then all we have is an empty glass with wasted potential. A large paperweight is what we could relate to. Emptiness is this man's tragedy. Idleness. Unfortunately for this man, he allows his cleansing to result in a greater foulness. He had been set free, but he allows his freedom to end in a more bitter and hopeless bondage. And this he does, not by filling his hand with unclean things, but by permitting them to remain empty. This man who had been given to power to be free and had the whole world before him decided to just 
be idle. So we ask tonight, why did he remain idle? How, how does one just remain idle? Well, one way is to think that harmlessness equals holiness. The thought that goodness was doing nothing wrong. The bee is not praised for only when it does not sting. It is praised for its honey it helps produce. A garden is not praised for its lack of weeds. Rather, the flowers, vegetables, and fruit it produces. The Bible does not say we shall know them by their lack of weeds. It says we will know them by their fruit. But there came a group of people who we can call them Pharisees, hypocrites, gossips, vipers, or whatever. They are still around today. And they view the law as a bunch of thou shalt nots. Well, I shall not do this, and I shall not do this, and I can't do this, and I can't do that, and we can't go there, and we can't go here. It's just a bunch of laws that says we can't do this. And there were so many things you couldn't do, you might as well be deaf, dumb, blind, and maimed just to survive and able to make it to heaven. We, re- we must remember it is not only our duty to be good, but to do good. There were so many things you couldn't do, you might as well just go hide in a corner somewhere and say, well, I, I can't do this and I can't do that, and so what's the point of even being alive? People live by thou shalt nots as a way to live and think that that's all that it takes, but James clarifies this for us, and he says, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him that is sin. And sin will keep you from heaven, ladies and gentlemen. Your idleness will keep you from getting to a place that you desire to go someday. Jesus once cursed a fig tree into utter barrenness. Not because it was producing bad things, but because it was content being idle and bore nothing at all. He said every tree that beareth not good fruit needed to be cut down. In order to be lost... It is not necessary to do a list of wrongs. It is only necessary to be idle. It is not necessary to be a curse. It is only necessary to refuse to be a blessing. The man with the talent who got thrown out into the dark, if you will. It was not because he had spent his money on wild living. But rather his condemnation grew out of the fact that he had not used his talent at all. He allowed it to remain idle. Therefore, he lost both his talent and himself. In Matthew 22, a lawyer comes probing the question to Jesus, another Pharisee, another law-abiding citizen. What is the greatest commandment in the law, Jesus? Would you tell me, of all the commandments, what is the greatest law? Oh, that's right. That's all the things we're not allowed to do. That's the thou shalt not. But Jesus caught him off guard and he said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. Wait a second, Jesus, I thought this was thou shalt not, and the the commandment said thou shalt have no other God before me. That's what you said back then. 
But God is saying now it is more than than you just not worshiping another God. But you need to worship the one true living God. It's more than just separating yourself from the world, but you need to bring yourself to a God of grace and mercy. It's not good enough to not do evil, but we must do good. So the commandment tells us, thou shalt not, but thou shalt not has a flip side. If I shall not do this, then what shall I do? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. In our text, there was a Pharisee, a religious person, who wanted to spend some time with Jesus, like we all do. How many of you came here tonight because you wanted to spend some time with Jesus? Amen. But right in the middle of dinner, here comes a worshiper. A.K.A. a sinner. This one who's going to come in and just ruin all the plans that we had for tonight. The order of service that we're going to keep because, hey, we're having church tonight and we've got to keep an order of service. But some crazy person just busted through the back doors, come up to the front, lifted their hands and just began worshiping and tears began to fall from her face. And and she just interrupted everything we had going. Brother Clyde T doesn't even know what's going on. A, a, A worshiper entered the building and that religious person didn't know what to do. And he starts getting uncomfortable and saying, well, why why is she here? Why is she doing this? Why is she touching him? She's unclean. She's a sinner. She is a sinner in my house causing a scene. She comes in and stood at his feet behind him weeping, began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And Jesus looks at Simon and he says, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she's washed me with feet, her, my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but she has continued kissing me, my feet from the time she came in here. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore, I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. This religious man had become an idol worshiper. Have we forgotten what it felt like in that moment of desperation when our debt was too much and he forgave us? I wonder what Simon looked like when he first felt that spirit of God. I wonder what Simon must have been like when he first found God and and felt that touch that only God can give. Oh, God, forgive me of my idol worship. Second Peter 2, 21 says, For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Any man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is not fit for the kingdom of God. We call him an idol worshiper. What do you call those who get weary in well-doing? Idol worshipers. 
What do you call those that respond only when it's the type of music they like? Idol worshipers. What do you call those who respond out of goosebumps and emotions? Idol worshipers. So what is the cure for emptiness? What is the cure for idleness? The only thing I know that is a cure for emptiness is fullness. And the only thing I know that, that solves uh, an idle heart is an active heart for God. Responding in worship. The Bible says that there, that there is a father who is seeking a true worshiper. To worship him in spirit and in truth. Not spirit and perfection. Not spirit and longevity of this, this Pharisee who's sitting there. But just somebody who will come in with sincere worship. And say, I'm here to worship him in spirit and in truth tonight. That's who the Father is seeking. He's seeking someone like that to worship him. Why would a God who has everything be seeking anything? Unless possibly true worshipers are hard to find. The Greek word for a true worshiper means that which has not only the name and resemblance, but the real nature corresponding to that name. Opposite of what is fictitious, counterfeit, imaginary, or pretend. That is the sign of a true worshiper. You know when you see a true worshiper from the phony. The phony just praises God when everything's going good. Or the phony just comes to God when everything's going bad. But the true worshiper says, God, whether I'm up or whether I'm down, whether the money's in the bank or whether I'm broke is a joke. God, you're worthy of all of my praise. You're worthy of everything I have to give. You say, well, we lifted our hands earlier and we sang some songs. Isn't that worship? Just because we made noise does not mean we worshiped. Because you see, worship is not about our emotional response. Worship is about the posture of our hearts. Worship is a spiritual discipline, which means I worship him on good days and I worship him on bad days. If God says yes or if God says no, I worship because it is spiritual discipline. We give God glory when we are good and we give him glory when we are hurt. This is why Job was able to say you give and you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Why? Because worship is not about me. Worship is coming to God and saying, here I am, Lord. I don't have it all together. But you do. God, in me is no good thing. God, but you are perfect in all of your ways. You can come and have a service, but never really have church. You can come and listen to singing, but never really praise. You can put money in an envelope, an envelope and never really give. You can kneel down at an altar, but never really surrender. You can go underwater and never be truly cleansed. But you cannot live for God and be an idol worshiper.
You cannot live for God and be an idol worshiper. Charles Spurgeon said, depend on it, my hearer. You will go to heaven only if you are ready to worship Jesus Christ. And hear me, you never will go to heaven unless you are prepared to worship Jesus Christ. Well, you said he said the exact same thing. Yes, he did. He was trying to get the point across that if you desire to go to heaven, you better be ready to be a worshiper. Because that song we were singing earlier, soon and very soon we are going to see the king. It's sooner than any of us can even imagine. And you better be ready to worship. You better be ready to be more than an idol worshiper. You better be one of those people that says, hey, if you're looking for a true worshiper, why don't you look down at Greater Life Church tonight? God, I'm here. God, I'm here in spite of everything that's going on in my life. God, I'm here to give you the praise and honor that you were worthy of. We must remember that a moving of the body doesn't always mean there's a turning of the heart. There are churches who live on hype. There are other churches that all they want to do is just come and sit in and feel like they were touched. And both of these are great. However, we are all guilty for mistaking contentment when really we are apathetic. We cast off things as spiritual maturity when really we seem lethargic. We come in and say, well, we are just well-balanced when really we are lukewarm. We have got to become true worshipers again. Because you see, it's your worship that connects you to God. Worship is not just about sound. Sound may be a component of worship. But worship is much more than noise and sound. Worship is substance. Worship is the one thing God cannot give himself. Do you realize that? Worship is the one thing that God cannot give himself. He can do all things. If he wants it, he can make it. But he cannot worship himself. Because to worship something, it's got to be higher than you. But God is the most high. God is the most high. Can we stand in this place tonight? It's a song that dates back to the late 1990s. Born from a period of apathy within Matt's home church. Sole survivor in Watford, England. Redmond's congregation was struggling to find meaning in worship. Lights. Cameras, smoke, and mirrors had filled the stage, but their words, not mine. There was a dynamic missing. So the pastor did a pretty brave thing, he recalls. He decided to get rid of the sound system and band for a season. That was brave. He says, and they gathered together with just their voices. His point was that they had lost their way in worship. And the way to get back to the heart would be to strip everything away. Reminding his church family to be producers in worship, not just consumers. The pastor, Mike Pilavachi, asked, When you come through the doors on a Sunday, 
What are you bringing God as an offering? What are you bringing as an offering to God? Matt says the question initially led some embarrassing silence that fell across the room. But eventually people broke into a cappella songs and heartfelt prayers, encountering God in a brand new way. Before long, we reintroduced the musician and sound system as we'd gained a new perspective that worship is not about me, but it was all about him. And he commands a response in depths of our soul, no matter what the circumstance and setting. And it was then that Matt Redman went home in this season of emptiness and idleness and everything was just going kind of chaotic and he went home and in his bedroom he wrote down the words when the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. He says, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it when it's all about you. It's all about you. About you, Jesus. When you hear the meaning behind the song, it puts it all into perspective for you. God, none of this means anything, God, if we don't have you. God, the padded pews are wonderful. God, I'm thankful for our air conditioning tonight. God, but worship is about you. God, when we come into this place, God, we don't desire to be an idol worshiper. God, perhaps some of us, Lord, haven't even realized it. God, but we've made worship something else. God, we we worship you so that we feel better. God, we worship you so we feel like we've been touched. God, but I wonder what would happen, God, if we come into this place, God, and said that it's all about you. God, were you touched tonight? God, did my praises reach your throne room, God, and move you, O Lord? God, tonight, Lord, I'm sorry for the things I've made it. God, I don't want to be an idol worshiper. God, I don't want to just go through the motions, God, and come into this place at a service. God, and leave, God, just lifting my hands a few times and clapping God on beat. God, but I'm ready for that moment again where I'm just lost in worship. God, where I'm just lost, oh God, in your presence. God, I want to be a true worshiper. God, that's who you're seeking. God, you're not seeking a performer. You're not seeking somebody with talent. God, you're seeking someone that's willing to worship. God, in a world, Lord, that is telling us all the things we've got to have to have a move of God. God, it's God as David, Lord. God, they were telling him all the things he needed to have, God, to defeat that giant. 
God, but he was willing to step out with his nothingness and say that all he needed was you. God, that's how we feel tonight. God, we don't need the lights and smoke and mirrors. God, we don't need the perfect song. We don't need the perfect sermon. God, we just need an opportunity, God, to worship you. God, I don't want to be an idol worshiper tonight. I open these altars for anyone who just wants to spend some time in worship. God, tonight, Lord, we want to be a true worshiper. God, we want to worship you in spite of everything that's going on in our lives. God, we want to be a worshiper, Lord. God, with all that is within us. God, more than I want to be a doctor. God, more than I want to be good at something. God, I want to be a true worshiper. Oh, God. God, whatever you've got to do, Lord, to get me back into that place. 